0: Um, let's get uh, let's get started here. Let me pray, and then we'll and then we'll jump into the text. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We are dependent on you, the one who gave us these words. We're dependent on you to open our eyes and our hearts to the truth of it, and then to help us to change as we read it. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would make it more clear to us and make Jesus more clear through your word and and transform us through it tonight. I ask you that in the name of Jesus. Amen. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12, um, going through 22. We are... Um, so last week, basically what we read was kind of an extended introduction where Paul is praising God for the comfort that he has received in the middle of his suffering so that he can then pass that comfort on to others. And it's, it, it, it sounds like Paul's getting into stuff. He is. He's getting to his message a little bit. But he's really introducing kind of what this is about, the way God works in our suffering for his purposes. And tonight is where we get into the body of the letter where Paul will start to do what he will be doing throughout this letter, and that is defending himself and defending his ministry. Um, He is writing to, there are basically three groups in mind that Paul has when he's writing. He's defending himself on three different fronts. Um, The first group is the majority of the Corinthians, and these are people who who are actually in agreement with Paul. They see him as a true and rightful apostle, and, and they want to follow him mostly. There's still a little bit of kind of um, struggle there, maybe a few little doubts, but most of these people are with him, and they're going, we think you're a guy we want to follow even if there's been some kind of conflict before. The second group is a minority that is smaller but probably vocal and and maybe a few that are higher up um, in some high positions in the church who are against Paul. And they go, we don't don't know if we can trust this guy. We don't know if the things he says are true. We're certainly not super impressed when he comes and teaches. He's not nearly as impressive as some of these new guys that have come in, these recent um, people who sometimes called themselves like super apostles, these kind of really special gifted teachers. And they were really known for their um, ability to speak really well with a silver tongue, kind of from what we call the sophist tradition. Um, these people who love to impress with their words. And so Paul is defending his ministry against these people. And the third people are those false teachers themselves who are influencing the minority, who are saying, no, 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 don't, don't listen to this guy. Check out my credentials. Look what, look what I'm coming here to bring to you. Follow my teaching. And so Paul is addressing all three of these as he is writing to defend himself. And this specific section, Paul is going to defend his travel plans which sounds like a weird thing to have to defend. More specifically, he's going to defend how he came to, um, to make the travel plans that he's recently made, what caused him to do those things. And so we got to do just a little bit of background homework in order to be able to follow this because this can sound a little confusing. Those of you guys who are in a table group and you read it, you may know it, it's a little bit hard to track with. But when we do our homework, when we know the background behind it, um, then it's, it's a lot easier to follow and to see what's going on in this passage. A um, little refresher from our first night in Corinthians. Remember, Paul, on his second missionary journey, coming up from Antioch through Asia Minor, across um, the sea into Macedonia, he comes down and he plants the church of Corinth in A.D. 50. Comes to that town, starts a church there in A.D. 50, and he's there for roughly eight months Or 18 months, sorry. After um, those 18 months, he ends up moving on, sailing across over into Ephesus. And he's in Ephesus for a good period. I believe it's two and a half years that he's over there. During that time, there's a little bit of correspondence that goes back and forth. Paul will hear during that time of some issues that are popping up in the church in Corinth. Some issues of sin, some issues of divisiveness. So over the next couple years, Paul sends two letters to the Corinthians. Um, the first is what we call Corinthians A, and we don't have it. Um, it's lost through time or something, however you to say. It was, wasn't considered significant enough to retain, and so we don't have it. So he sends a letter to them. And, um, and then the second one he sends over is what we now know as 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is sent to deal with some of these issues of sin and some of the factions, and some of the divisiveness that has come up, and also to defend a little bit of his own ministry that's taking place. He sends that one probably 53 AD, probably when he sends 1 Corinthians. And in it, at the very end of it, Paul gives, relates his plans to them, his travel plans, and he tells them, this is what I'm going to do. So in 1 Corinthians 16, it's basically just the page over from where we're at, 1 Corinthians 16, he says this in verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you um, now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries." So the plan was, Paul says, after time, I'm going to make my way back up through Macedonia. And as I come out of it, I want to stop and I want to spend some time with you guys for a little bit. I want to spend some time around you. We know that he was going to take up a collection for the church in Jerusalem that was suffering from famine at that time. But he wants to spend some time there with the Corinthians. Um, so Paul sends that, and then he sends Timothy right after it in 1 Corinthians. He probably sends this across the sea, and then he sends Timothy over. And Timothy gets there and finds out they did not respond well to that 1 Corinthians letter that we have. They did not respond. It's, the people are not following it, and, and divisiveness is growing, and there are more and more voices who are coming out against Paul saying, we don't know if we can trust this guy, and, and he's not our leader. I want Apollos. Or I want these new false teachers. Or I want to follow Peter or whatever it is. But, but people who are coming out against him. And so as soon as Paul receives that, he changes his plans. He doesn't wait anymore. He goes directly over to Corinth um, to, to have what is known as the painful visit. He calls it later in the next chapter, what we'll read next week, he calls it a painful visit. Something where he had to confront them and it was difficult and hard. And actually either... In the middle of that visit, or directly after it, there were some people who stood up in the church and called Paul out, and said, we don't need you, um, you're not our apostle, you're not the one that we're going to follow. Now, from everything we know, most of the church was on Paul's side, but nobody stood up to defend him. This guy stands up, calls Paul out, says, we don't, we're, we're done with him, and everyone just sits there quietly. And like I said, we don't know if Paul—if this happens after Paul leaves or while Paul's there. At any rate, Paul, after being here for a little bit, goes back to Ephesus. And he's in anguish and he is struggling when he finds out the news that, that these people are starting to stand against him. And so he sends over the third letter, which is called the tearful letter. And in that tearful letter, from what we can tell, he says, all right, new plan. This is, and this is what we're going to call, this is the, the kind of the official plan, um, I'm sorry, yeah, so the first one was plan A. Come down from Macedonia into Corinth. Now we're going to plan B. And plan B is I'm going to see you twice. I'm coming through Corinth, and then I'm going to come up into Philippi, and then after Philippi up in Macedonia, I'm going to come back through again. I want to see you guys two times. That was his plan. Actually, I think he actually shared that with him while he was there the first time. That's right. He shares that with him while he was there during this painful visit. And then he ends up sending a letter and says, I can't do it. Um, For your good, because I love you so much and because I know the kind of pain that it's going to take, I can't come to you right now. We're going to have to wait on those things. And so he changes back to the original plan A. I'm just going to wait and I'll see you one time when I come through Macedonia. Now, Paul is trying to do this for their good. And he's trying to do this for the good of the relationship. But what this ends up doing is it plays right into the hands of the false teachers. And it plays right into the hands of those who are doubting him because they go, Look at this guy. He's, he's flaky. You can't trust what he says. He's changed his plans how many times? We don't even know if he was changing him. Maybe he was just lying to us when he said he was going to come twice. How do we know that you can even trust? It sounds like he's a guy who just says whatever he will to please you when he's in front of you. And then he'll go back and change that afterwards. And this is a big deal in this day and age, both in Jewish culture, which Paul grows up in, and in Greco-Roman culture that he's writing into, a person being a man of their word, a person who did not waffle back and forth a person who stuck with what they said they were going to do. And so when Paul appears to not be doing that, that begins to kind of put a dent in a bit of his integrity. So he sends this tearful letter to him. He sends it with Titus, and he waits for Titus to come back to Ephesus. We talked about this, and Titus doesn't show. So Paul comes up to Macedonia, and it's there that Titus goes and meets him, gives him the good news, hey, they responded really well to your tearful letter. Most of the people are with you. In fact, they confronted the dude who went after you. They, they disciplined him. They, 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 they wouldn't put up with what he was saying anymore. And so Paul's really excited. Um, but there's still this issue. Why are you changing your plans, Paul? And people are wondering that. And they can't figure it out. And there's still some people who don't quite get you. And so Paul writes 2 Corinthians, as we said, to defend himself some more. And specifically here he goes, let me explain the change of plans. That's where we are here. 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 12. Um Anthony yeah. you want to read for me? Do you have your Bible with you? I, <laughs> of course. I don't, why why would I even ask him? Yeah, All right. I
1: didn't have
0: my All right, there you go. All right. I'm going to I'm going to have you read, no, man.
1: This is
0: the new, King new King. We can do it. We uh, can handle it. We can so I Um second Corinthians. I'll translate into actual English after Anthony <laughs> reads from the King James. Um read from second Corinthians uh, 1, verse
2: 12. Okay. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and more abundantly toward you.
0: Alright, so he says, this is our boast to you. Our boasting is this. If you read First and Second Corinthians, that word actually comes up quite a bit in Paul's writing. He talks, weirdly, a lot to the Corinthians about boasting. And part of that is because he's dealing with people who like to boast in the false teachers. And so Paul likes to kind of turn things on him and says, all right, let me boast a little bit. And, and he really likes to turn things on him at the end of this letter. It gets really interesting. But he'll write about boasting a fair amount, which, which sounds strange to us when we um, first hear. In fact, Paul in the Corinthian letters will speak against boasting. They shouldn't be boasting. Somebody needs to tell them to stop boasting. Now give me a second while I boast, all right? And, and, and so it sounds almost like Paul is speaking out of two sides of his mouth whenever he speaks against boasting and then he does a fair amount of it. But there is this one thing you'll notice anytime Paul boasts, um, anytime he engages in it, he does it under one condition. And, and we actually get to see a glimpse of it here. He says, This, my boast is this, um, I'll read it up here, that we came to you with simplicity. This is the way the ESV and the N. Anthony's New King James said it that we come to you with simplicity and godly sincerity. That, that word simplicity just means like, um, transparency or integrity. or So when he says simply, what he means is there wasn't anything complicated. I wasn't being de- deceiving. I wasn't trying to pull any tricks on you. I was coming to you straightforward with a simpleness to it. And then, and then it says a godly sincerity. But actually, what, what that word literally is in the Greek is we came with the simplicity and the sincerity of God. And so it can be translated, godly sincerity, but what it actually appears to be saying is not godly sincerity as in a sincerity that's really Christian, but both the simplicity and sincerity, Paul says, those things that I came to you with, those were actually God's. I came to you with the simplicity and sincerity of God. And then he kind of confirms this when he says, I didn't come to you with human wisdom or fleshly wisdom, earthly wisdom, um, but by the grace of God. And so what Paul is saying is, what I came to you with was um, God's working in me. And this is the one condition every time Paul boasts. Anytime Paul boasts, it is not in himself, but in what God is doing through him. In fact, Paul likes to boast, he'll say later, he actually likes to boast about his own flaws and weaknesses. Because when he boasts about those, that way everyone who looks and sees anything good in him will know the truth. That it's of God, that it's God who's doing those things in him, and so every time he boasts, it is actually boasting about the Lord and the Lord's work and what that's doing in him. So he says, "I came to you with godly, um, or sorry, with a simplicity and a sincerity that comes from God," and he contrasts it with this, not with earthly wisdom. Or not with human or fleshly wisdom, as it might say. Now that's really interesting because we've told you before. This is another word that Paul likes to use a lot: wisdom. And he always he contrasts it a lot: the wisdom of this world with the way God operates. So I don't operate in the wisdom of the world. I operate the way God does. I think there's a reason that Paul uses this word, word wisdom so often. I told you that the false teachers come from what's known as the sophist tradition. From everything we can tell, the sophist tradition, which is these people who are known for being really good speakers. Now the word wisdom in the Greek is Sophia. It's that idea, and this is where the word sophist comes from. People who can be really wise speakers. People who can be really convincing speakers. And so when Paul says, I did not come to you with human wisdom, it appears to be an underhanded kind of shot at the sophists. Uh, You can sound really smart. You can sound really impressive. It's worldly. It's only based in human things. I did not come with that. I came by the grace of God. I came with his working, with his knowledge in me, and not with the human wisdom that these men come to you with. Um, Read verses 13 through 14, Anthony.
2: For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand, even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast, as you are ours, as you also are ours, in the day of the Lord Jesus.
0: Okay. Paul says, so I wrote, I wrote to you only what you can read and understand. And what he's basically saying is, with me, what you read is what you get.
1: Hmm.
0: So I, I wasn't trying to be fancy. I wasn't trying to pull anything over your eyes. The words that you read from me, that's, what, what you read was exactly what I meant. And I wasn't trying to, to, to kind of butter you up or, or flatter you or, or say something to make you think that maybe I'd come when I really didn't mean or anything. No, what I was saying to you is what I meant in, in that moment. And so Paul wants to make that clear. And he says, I hope that you will understand in full, just like you have understood in part. And this that, that little verse right there really does paint a little picture of the relationship that Paul has with this church. It is a church that, by and large, has come back over to his side, but it's not fully there yet. In the same way that you guys mostly get it, when he says understand, like he's saying, I hope you understand me. I hope you understand my integrity. I hope you understand that my love for you and my motives for you are pure and legit. And he says, you... I know you, you mostly get that. My hope is that after reading this letter that you will fully get that, that you will see that for what it is. Um, and he says, and, and my hope is that at the end when we stand before Jesus, that we will be in a place that you can boast about me, that you can boast about us, Paul and Titus and, or Timothy and, and Silas in the same way that I want to boast about you. I, I want things to come back to that level is what Paul is saying to them. Now read verses 15 through 16, Anthony. And
2: in this country- might have a second benefit to pass by the way until what? Uh sixteen. Okay. To pass by the way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way
0: to Judea. Okay, so now he's talking about plan B. So I, I wanted to come and see you once now now, because of, all, because of things that had happened, I really did, Paul says, I really did want to come up through Corinth on the way to Macedonia and then come back again and have you send me on my way. Basically, he means kind of to help financially to send me out as I do these things. That's, that's what I wanted. He says, but he says, and I had, um, the ESV says in, uh, I had this confidence, I think. The, or I'm sorry, the New King James says, I had this confidence. The ESV says, because I was sure of this, says, I wanted to come to you first. And then he says that you may have a second experience of grace. Now, there are two questions that need to be answered. He says, because I was sure of this, what is this? What's he talking about when he says, I'm sure of this? The second question is, what does Paul mean by a second experience of grace? I wanted to come to you twice, once on the way up, once on the way down, so you could have a second experience of grace. Um, When he says, I was confident of this, I think that he's not talking about I was confident you would understand me fully. That's the verse that comes right before it. I think he's actually talking about what comes even before that. That I have handled my business with integrity. That I have sought to do what God's will is and I am confident in that. I am confident that I have not been making decisions by human wisdom but that I have been seeking to follow Jesus. That I have been seeking to do this with integrity. And he says, I wanted to do this so that you could have a second experience of grace. Now, that phrase right there is debated. If, if you were with us last year, at the beginning of the spring semester, we talked about this idea of grace and how big it can be and how much talk goes into what grace actually means. At the most basic and simple level, the word grace, charis in the Greek just means gift. That's at the most simple level, it means gift. And so this is what Paul says. I wanted to come um, to you up and down so that you could have a gift from me twice. And it's debated by what he means by that. He might simply mean so that you could have the gift of my ministry with you again. So that you could benefit from me being there to encourage you and teach you and strengthen you. I wanted that to happen two times. There are others who think that actually what he's talking about is I wanted to give you this gift. And the gift is you could give me money twice. That you could actually help me with my ministry on the way up to Philippi. And then when I come back, give money to send me on my way to Jerusalem and help these people here. And that hits our ears kind of funny. What does Paul mean? I want to give you this, hey, let me give you this gift. You can now hand me some money. Thank you very much, and you're welcome. Um, That sounds weird to us. I think that Paul is talking actually probably, this is just a guess, I think that Paul is talking not about them giving him money for his ministry, but about his ministry being there to benefit them twice. But it's not because that whole grace gift thing seems weird to me. Actually, when we get to 2 Corinthians 8, Paul will specifically say that the ability to give is a gift. That when I get to give to people who cannot give back to me, that's grace for me. That's a gift that I get to enjoy. And so he will actually talk that way about this. And that's why some people think that's what he's talking about here in this verse. Um, Let's read verses 17 through 19, Anthony.
2: Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, here we see why Paul is so strongly defending his travel plans. Something that doesn't seem like a big deal. The reason Paul is so intent on defending the way he made these plans, he's trying to defend his integrity because it's not just his integrity that's at stake. It's the integrity of his message. And he wants to say, no, 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 listen, I promise you, I am true. You can trust me just as the word of God that I preach to you is true. Just as you can take to the bank every promise that God has ever laid out to you. Just as you can fully trust the things that I said to you. I was not saying, yes, yes, I'm coming, and in the same moment thinking in my mind, no, no, I'm not actually going to do that. That's not me, Paul says. And in the same way, God's promises to us have never been yes and no. God's promises have never been shifting sand. They're never something that you don't know if you can trust. You can always hold to those as true. You can always count on them um, being something that is there. And, and this brings us to the, this verse that we talked about the very first night. One of my favorite in this, in this book, um, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Just read that one, Anthony.
2: All the promises of God in
0: Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Okay, ESV says it like this, all the promises of God find their yes in Him, find their yes in Jesus. And we talked about this, how every promise made in Scripture in the Old Testament that God would bless the whole world through Abraham's seed, that is fulfilled in Jesus. That God would set up David's line to rule on the throne forever, fulfilled in Jesus. That God was going to form a new covenant with His people, one in which they didn't just have to strive and struggle to be able to figure it out and and to be able to want to obey Him, but one in which their hearts would be made new. And transformed that is fulfilled in Jesus the yes to that promise comes to that the promise that God would send his own spirit to live in people is through Jesus and on and on it goes Paul says and the Bible is clear all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus he sits as the at the middle of and as the climax to and as the answer to everything that is taking place in Scripture And this becomes a really important verse for Paul's theology and ours, but it also becomes important not just as we look back. It's not just true that we look back at the promises of the Old Testament and we go, Jesus was the yes to all of those. That actually carries forward into the present and into the future. And I want to talk about that in just a minute. But first he says also this, and through Jesus we give the amen to the glory of God. Amen, being something that you know you say, something that Anthony would say in the middle of a talk or of a worship service. Um, that this this confirmation, I fully agree with this, and I worship this. And he says that our ability to say yes to the promises of God, our ability to confirm that and grab hold of that, is given to us through Jesus. The only way that we're able to take hold of those promises that have been offered is through Jesus Himself. It's through Christ that we receive it, and it's through Christ that we agree and grab hold of it to the glory of God. Read verses 21 through 22, Anthony. Now,
2: he who establishes us with you in Christ and and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee.
0: Um, he He says here, now, God goes on and he does, through Jesus, three things. He says, first of all, that God has established us with you in Christ. That is, what he means is he made us Christians. He, he placed us, this is one of Paul's favorite terms for being a Christian, is in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ. So the, the things that Jesus has done that, is, that, that show his righteousness, you get to be a part of that. His holiness, you get to be a part of that. His sonship or daughtership, you get to be a part of that. And, and so he says God has placed us in Christ. He has established us in Christ. And the second thing he says, he has anointed us, um, basically chosen us. That Paul, uh, Paul says, through Jesus, God said, I want you. I choose you. I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be on my team. I want you to be part of my people. And last, he says that he has set his seal on us through the Holy Spirit, that he's given us his Holy Spirit. And he says that he's given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. That word guarantee in the Greek is a technical financial term, and it is used to describe a down payment. That is a pledge of faithfulness to a future commitment. So when you go and put like a first down payment on a house, what you're saying is I am fully committed to paying for this house. I'm writing down right now that, that I am in on this and I will get to this. And so what God is saying is when he places his Holy Spirit in us, when we give our lives to Jesus and God puts his Holy Spirit in us, Paul, not just here, but in Ephesians, he says this, that that is a seal that God is putting on us and a guarantee that God is fully committed to this and, and that he is going to continue doing the things that he said he was going to do in us, in our lives. And, and that's where we come to this really cool idea. That when we talk about all the promises of God being yes in Jesus, that's not just a past thing. That actually every promise God has made to you through His Word is actually still yes in Jesus. And if you ever wonder about the promises of God, the answer, he says, is always to look at Jesus, that that that's how we find those, that's how we know those things. If you ever wonder if God is going to stay faithful to you, the answer is, look what he did in sending his son Jesus to you. If you ever wonder whether God is going to continue loving you, if you ever wonder if it really is even possible, because you know most of the people who have been closest to me in my life didn't love me like they said they were going to love me, so how do I know that God really loves me the way that he says he loves me? Paul says, that's simple. The answer to that is yes in Jesus. You look at what he did in sending Jesus. If you ever wonder, I don't know if God like, really truly forgives me for these things. Like, I know he says he does, but the truth is I don't feel forgiven for that one thing I did last year that I regret so much and that I think about every night when I go to sleep. I just don't know how God could ever forgive me. Paul says, are you kidding me? Did you see what he did in sending Jesus? The answer, will he forgive me, the answer to that promise is always yes in Jesus. Here's how he says it in another place. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God was willing, he says, to give up his own son, to give us Jesus himself, how can you not trust that he's going to give you the other promises that he's made? To love you, to forgive you, to hear your prayers, to be with you, all of those things, to work for your holiness and sanctification. And he says this, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer, Paul says, is no one. It's not possible because the promise God gave to love you and forgive you and make you His, redeem you and make you holy, every one of those promises, the answer is yes in Jesus. I love that. Now we're going to get into some other ideas about how is Paul able to boast so much about what he's doing and, and why does he plan the things the way that he does and make such a big deal out of those. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes when Scott gets up. But um, for now, take a quick break, and, uh, and then we'll get back into it. Hey, Rachel, I do stop it, right?
3: You're just joining us. I'm halfway through. Good luck. Um, uh, anyway, so so that, that's our principle: is is we we start with what, what the authors intended meaning, what's happening there. We look at the words. We try to figure out the story. We know from looking at Acts, and we try. You know, we're trying to understand the situation in order to get to this bigger principle. And the bigger principle that I think is happening is that that Paul trusts his conscience when there's evidence of God's truth. And God's fruit. That's kind of something I see that's coming out of the text. And then here in a second we'll we we'll walk and, and apply that. But I, but So when you think about our conscience, who do you think about? When you think about the word conscience, who do you think about? Jiminy Jimmy Cricket. Cricket. Let me tell you, Jimmy Cricket um, has deceived you. <laughs> Sorry, Tara. Sarah. Ta- Tara, Sarah. Tara Taylor. Yeah, Sarah Taylor. Tara Saylor. Um, so, yeah. Jiminy Cricket. He has failed you. In fact, Disney has been trying to mislead you your whole life, by the way. Again, I apologize for fans. They're cute, they're cute movies, but they have been trying to, to deceive you um, because letting your conscience be your guide actually might be the worst thing you could ever do. But letting your conscience be your God could be the best thing you could ever do. What's the difference? The difference is Who's leading your conscience? The difference is, um, by what criteria are you judging um, the accuracy of your conscience? So, so that's the difference. There's been times in my life where I have followed my heart. Thank you, Disney. I have followed my heart, and it has led me astray. The Bible describes our hearts being a wicked place. Like, like it's, it's, it's wicked, it's destructive, it's deceptive. Do not trust it. And yet, there are other times where I've um, I've had a, uh, my conscience won't let me get over this, and it wants me to do something that I don't want to do, but I know it's the right thing to do. And so, when I let it be my guide, it actually turns out to be a right thing. When I apologize to my wife, finally, or when I um, admit to my kids that, that, okay, dad lost his cool, and he lost his patience, and... He needs forgiveness. I, you know, when I say those things to my kids, or which I hate saying, um, it's true. But it's also like it's true, but you know, I always want to add that but you were a pain. Um, but you know, or when I when I need to confront someone, or when um, I've done something that I know I need to apologize for. So like, there's times in which God's spirit convicts and works in me and is leading me to do the right thing and when i follow it i'm not just following my conscience i'm following the spirit but i'm but i'm f- sensing something in me that's saying yeah we need to do something about this and, and so i i think there's is, there's is something there again how do we know how do we know if we're following god and 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 so it brings me to this this article that our staff got to read together this past week that I thought was really, really interesting timing. Um, the, the name of the article, the title of the article was How not, to Follow, sorry, How not to Walk by the Spirit. How Not to Walk by the Spirit. And it, what it was going after, the article was going after this mentality that says, if the Lord's leading me to do it, I've got to do it. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about the importance And the difficulty of this statement. The Lord is leading me to. So the older I get, the more I realize how important it is that we stay in step with the spirits. That we follow God. That we we recognize His voice and respond to Him. That we follow His lead. But I also recognize the older I get that, that the difficulty of this and what is actually needed in order to be able to to, to discern keyword to discern if the lord is leading and what the lord is leading to and and there is um grow i mean i i i feel this too i i i sense there's times when i i let my experiences dictate the things that i feel like i should do more so than God and His truth. And so in this article, he said something pretty interesting. Um, he, he was he was describing a situation that I've been a part of. In fact, I remember this one time. I was sitting across my desk from a lady in my church in California when I was a pastor out there. And um, I, I knew her husband for a year and a half, I think at that point. Um, about, about six months into knowing him, he was describing to me how difficult things were at home, how uh, she, he wasn't respected at home. He wasn't. Uh, There's was all these things, right, that were happening, and I, and I, I think I, you know, I I knew them a little bit to know, to see the picture, but I never really got to actually, just sit down and talk with her about some things. Well, fast forward a year, and she's leaving him, and he's broken, obviously, and uh, so I was like, hey, you know, they're in our church. I need to I need to hear it from her. Like, what's going on? I need to ask her. To explain what's going on, is is there something I don't know about this guy, is he abusive, is he whatever kind um, of find out he wasn't abusive, if anything he was passive um, and she just didn't like him anymore and, and so I asked you know, questions like so how long have you been following Jesus uh, since I was you know 12 or 11 or whatever um, so you know what Jesus says about divorce right well yeah, and so I Turn there, push the Bible across. Read it. Like, what does he say? And she kind of looked and she says, "I know what he says. You know what he says." I said, "So how do you? How are you doing? Because it doesn't sound like there's major things. There's not abuse. There's not, you know. It's it sounds like it's just difficult. You've lost respect for him. You 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 you're kind of annoyed by him. You think he's weak. You know, all these things, right?" and she just said you know i think i'm going to be okay jesus and i are going to be okay like i think god, i think god understands like he he wouldn't want me to be in this difficult situation he wouldn't want my kids to be in a home where their parents fight together he's not going to want that like he's going to be okay with this i'm going to be okay i said well like i know that's what you feel but this is what jesus said like this we know for sure this is what he is okay with what you're what you're describing is like it's not even there 's nowhere i've from back to front there 's nowhere in there and and so he in this article he describes a similar situation and how dangerous it is to say, I just feel the Lord leading me too and and with this case, it was the guy just walking right out of the church and away from jesus and so how um, and so he, he, he talks about how not only our selfish nature, but also this, this line. He says, Our culture's commitment to an expressive individualism that exalts, um, it, it exalts actualizing our desires. Okay, and that's another fancy word of saying following our heart. Um, actualizing our desires above conforming to God's desires. He says, That is part of the problem. And so, um, the art, article goes on to talk about, yeah, if you want to not walk in the spirit, um, abandon the Bible, um, abandon the church, abandon all wisdom which is found in the Bible, and really don't have faith because, you know, that's how you do it. Um, and so there there is truth here. Like I, the older I get, the more I realize um, you've got to be growing in an understanding of who God is, and at the same time recognizing that you're growing in your ability to discern His leading. And those two things have to work together. And so, this is how I think it works. That when the Word of God and the people of God help me discern the Spirit of God, the Word of God, as I grow in my understanding of God's Word and who He is and what He's done, um, His character what He's about, what He cares about. If you, God has strong opinions about things. Did you know that? Like, really strong opinions. Not just like, ah. Eh, does God have an opinion about you? Yes, He does. And so, do you want to know what that is? Like, the real answer. Not just what you hope it is. Not just what you, you're afraid that it is. But you can, you can know that um, by, by knowing His Word. And then being around the people of God and, and having their collective voice that as God speaks th- through the church in you will help you discern the Spirit of God. So that's a little bit about our conscience, and I want to talk about God's will. Um, how do you apply the Bible to specific situations that the Bible never speaks about? That, that's often what we want. Most of the time we're not asking, God, um, should I have sex before marriage? God, should I get drunk? God, should I? I mean, we're not asking those moral questions that are pretty obvious. Um, sometimes, maybe you find yourself in a marriage someday that's really difficult. I, I've read this thing, and nowhere does it say you can abandon your marriage because it's hard. In fact, it says, expect it to be hard. That's what it says. I can tell you where. I've read it often. Um, <laughs> Because, I mean, the truth is, and Tim Keller said this in his book about marriage, the truth is, every single married couple, if they're honest, they reach a point where they they think they might have married the wrong person. Because when two broken people come together, brokenness plus brokenness doesn't equal equal happiness all the time. And so, God is in His grace, He, as we grow towards Him, He brings us toward each, each other, we we have to trust Him to make this right. We have to work together, um, trust God and surrender to God and, and do it for God, love her by behalf of who God is and what He's done, vice versa, in order to exemplify Christ. And so it's, it's just, you might find yourself in a difficult situation. Um, but most of the time we're asking, hey God, should I take this internship or not? Should I, this specific situation. And it, nowhere in the Bible, you don't get that kind of, you don't get the, the answers to your what question. You get the answers to your why question. You know you, the Bible doesn't give what answers. It gives why answers. Like wh- who I am and why I should be this way. Um, and I don't know if I have time for examples in my life, but there's so I can give you examples of being in college, I'd just gotten married, didn't know what I wanted to do, felt like I was walking in the dark and realized that I needed to walk in the dark, and I needed to stay close to God and hold His hand so He could help me every step of the way. That's what He wanted during that time. And I did not like it. I wanted the lights to flip on, and I wanted to know exactly where I was going so I could just take off. Right? But looking back, I hated that moment. But looking back, I absolutely needed those moments of trusting God. I can talk about a time in... in, Early on in my ministry, or after college, several years in, where I was wrestling with when to go to seminary. I felt a strong pull to it, but also was starting to have kids. And it was just, and I remember praying and praying, should I do it now, should I do it now? I signed up and backed out twice for seminary. And, and um, both times I prayed and never got a single boo from God. Never got an answer. Just felt like, well, it's going to be harder and it's going to be harder on my wife and my family, so maybe I shouldn't do it. The third time is a charm. The third time I decided to do it, and it was still going to be hard. We had just moved from California to here and and uh, had three kids instead of two and all that stuff and felt like, okay, this is this is the time. And both times, I didn't get a specific answer. I just got God saying, I'm going to be with you either way, and this way is going to be hard this way, and this way is going to be hard this way. So pick your problems, you know. Um, I can talk about my decision to come move from California to here and how God orchestrated that out. And I don't feel like God wanted us absolutely, there was only one way, and it was to move here. That's the only thing He wanted, no? I just, I believe we could have stayed there and God would have worked it out. We could have come here and God would have worked it out. And there's been times in my life where God's I given me excitement for things that I've just trusted that I should do. And honestly didn't know and other times where i went for it and i got way ahead of god and found out quickly i'm in over my head um and so paul gives examples of of following god's will and and, and specifically of how he instructs others to live in light of jesus and so i can't read all of them we don't have time um but one of the, one of them we'll get to here in a couple actually next semester Chapter 8. Though he was rich, he's talking about Jesus, he's talking about generosity, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. In other words, Jesus was generous, you should be too. Um, in Romans twelve, one, Paul he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. It's always in light of the character of God, in light of what Jesus has done, in light of who you are in Him, this is how you act. Um, Romans two and, and, and seven both bas- literally say Jesus was this way, so we should be this way. Um, Philippians Philippians two uh, five have the mind uh, having this mind of yourself which is in Christ. You should be like Christ. You should have the same mind as Christ. Galatians two twenty. I've been crucified with Christ. I, I no longer live, but christ it is Christ who lives in me. and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. And so, it's always in light of who Christ is and what, what He's done that we now live. So, what, did Paul ask, what would Jesus do? Um, did, he, did He, you know, as he's trying to figure out when He should go to Corinth and when He should not, did He say... Jesus, if you were here today, what would you do? It doesn't seem like Paul wrestled with what Jesus would do if Jesus were him in that moment. It seems like what Paul wrestled with is, okay, God, in light of who you are, in light of what you've already done, how should I live? How should I How should I treat them? How should I love them? In light of who, what you've already done. And so there seems to be this this this, um, this kind of perspective that Paul has that I want to talk about. And so I'll sum it up by this. Paul makes decisions in light of the character of God and gospel implications. Whenever he decides to do something, um, he makes decisions and he encourages others to live in a certain way in light of the character of God and gospel implications. See, when we try to when we try to take our specific situation and then go to the Bible and look, look at the Bible and try to find an answer to our specific situation, we're, we're crossing a line that we're not really allowed to cross. We've got to do the work. Paul, Paul did the work of, of processing um, the character of God and, and the gospel implications about who He is and what He was called to do and how He was called to treat the, the people in Corinth. He did that work in order to figure out, okay, I, I, think I, need to, I think I need to just hold off and not go back through there because the last time was really rough on them. So because He's merciful to me, I'm going to be merciful to them and I'm going to spare them a painful visit. Right? And, and so do you make decisions that way? Do you make decisions in light of the character of God and, and the Gospel? Um. I think there's nothing wrong with WWJD. I just think it needs to be taken further. I think it's a good reminder. Um, I'd rather you be asking that question than than lots of others. Um, I just think we need to do the hard work of seeing the bigger story. And so I have a key question for you to write down. A gospel-centered question to help us live a gospel-centered life that in light of who God is and in light of What he's done through Christ and who I am in him, how should I live? Okay? So, in light of who God is and what he's done through Christ and who I am in him, how should I live? Now, the problem with that question is it doesn't answer your specific situation. Um, There is, I don't know of any, I wish there was one question that would answer every question. This is not. That's just, again, us wanting it to be easy because we're lazy or we're, we're scared. But this question, what this question will do, is it, it, it'll take you from wanting to chase all kinds of things in all kinds of directions to, to recenter you back on the truth about this bigger story that we believe and, and, and recenter us back on who we are in Him. And so, a couple things, just as we close. Um, who is God? You know, As you wrestle with who is God, A.W. Tozer says that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. Because what you believe about God and how you live in response to that understanding of God could be the most important thing about you. And so, do you know Him? Do you know His attributes? He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. He's sovereign, he's just, he's holy, he's faithful. He's faithful to fulfill his promises because he's faithful to his own promises, he's faithful to himself. And so because of that, you can trust him. He's not he's not faithful to you when you're doing the right things. He's faithful always, regardless. So you can trust him. So what is what is what has he done through Jesus? Well, he's conquered sin and death conquered sin and death those are our two biggest issues sin and death and Jesus is taking care of them on the cross and in the resurrection and so what does that mean? well it means he's he's savior and he's king he saved us and now he deserves our life he deserves us to live for him Uh, he's king he's in control He's, he's the boss and we should do what he says we should live um, his way. So, who am I in, in Christ? Well, I'm not only a, an image bearer of God, but I'm also being remade in the image of God or in the in, image of Jesus. Um, I'm His child. I've been adopted into His family. I've been sealed um, by His Spirit for eternity to, to be to live in His presence forever. I, I mean, that's who I am. That's who you are as a follower of Jesus. You're you're loved. You're embraced. Um, It doesn't mean you won't mess up. It just means he'll be there with you along the way. How should I live? Bearing fruit. Bearing his fruit and his character. Um, Representing him wherever you go and carrying out the responsibilities that he's given you. As you guys get older, you're going to have different roles and relationships. Some of you, a few of you in here are engaged. Some of you um, in this room, maybe a couple, are married i don't know maybe there's a few of us um some of you are in serious relationships some of you all of you have family all of you have siblings or cousins or parents or like you have certain roles that god's given you and, and in those roles comes responsibilities to represent him and so that's how you live in response to who god is and so again this question doesn't fix everything but what this question does is recenter you back on what's important and who you are and how you're to live. And, so I, and in doing that, um, you will begin to grow in your ability to discern the will of God, which I know is on all of your minds constantly uh, because you're at a key time in your life where big decisions are being made. And so I, I want to pray and um, trust God to do his work. Let me pray. God, there is um, tension in me because I know how, how big of a question this can be to, to many people in this room, and yet, 30 minutes won't do it justice. Um, an hour really won't do it justice, and and really anything that I've said and that, that that is true, is really just foundational. It's really just a building block to stand on, in order for you to reveal yourself to. And so, God, I pray that we would pursue you in in your word, and um, in our calendars, and that we would see the opportunities you give us to represent you well and to um, fulfill the responsibilities you've given us God yeah, that we, we see your invitation in, to, to be in relationship with you as as an opportunity to, to grow closer to you and in that process God I pray all of this that we would, that our hearts would change and desire to bring you glory to live for you and um, to spread Your Word, Your Kingdom, Your Gospel wherever we go. So I pray all these things, big things, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Hey, so I want to remind you that if you want to sign up to help with the color run, right, it's up here. Um, If you did not bring your money tonight but still want to give, write that number down. Oh, never mind. Let me find the number. Where's the box? Where's the box?
0: up here?
3: The box will be up here. The phone number's there. If you want one of these, 100 chapters of the Bible, we got plenty more here. Other than that, have a great afternoon, or evening. Do we have food?
1: We have food.
3: I don't know what it is, but we have it.
2: Yeah.